It is Friday, February the 17th. What the Frick Live. I'm your host, Emily, and I have my co-host with me, Rick. How's everybody <laughs> doing? Hey, Emily. What's thank up? You. All kinds of stuff. You name it, it's up. But thank you, everybody, for tuning in from 107.7 FM, New Orleans. We love you all. Thank you so much for listening live. Um, a new feature coming up soon. We're going to have call-ins for the radio so I've been working on that this week. Hopefully, hopefully in the next month that will happen. So we can have Collins, Craig's on here. Hey, what's up, everybody? Good to see you, Craig. Up, Craig. Thank you, everybody. I'm going to do this really fast, like I do a lot. But Rick has an announcement first before I go into my social media. An, an announcement, announce as much as it is a huge congratulations. Um, what the frick had an extremely exciting week. So everybody listening live in New Orleans and live on Facebook and YouTube and MySpace and Twitter and all that stuff. Um, what the Frick Live was ranked number five on Good Pods this week. Absolutely incredible. Um, a huge congratulations. This is thanks to Emily's tired, tiredless, tiredless, <laughs> <laughs> a hard work. Um, I'm extremely impressed and I am just glad to be a part of it. It's a lot of work. I'm almost thinking about putting videos together behind the scenes from the beginning to the end and, and put on YouTube because to have a successful podcast or a show like this, mm. people just do not understand the hard work that goes behind it. So it's good to feel that, you know, we're not getting money yet. So if you want to be <laughs> a sponsor, message me because we need the money, but, but it's going to get there. So I, I'm excited about that and hope we get enough money where we can pay our guests to come on because there's a lot of people I want to pay to come on the show. <laughs> Luckily, we've been doing pretty good with the free ones. We've had some well, extremely exciting ones lately. We, we have an exciting guest tonight and we'll get into that for a second. But real quick, if you're watching via Facebook and you leave comments or anything like that, it comes up Facebook user. Please go to StreamYard.com backslash Facebook and give StreamYard permission to use your name and your picture so we know who you're talking to, who we're talking to. And if you have any questions for our guests during the show, please, please be active in that comment section. The more uh, active you are in that comment section, the more it shows up in the algorithm. It helps our show. It helps our guests. It helps the network, everything like that. Um, if you're watching by Rumble, give us a positive Rumble there. That's over there. If you're watching by YouTube, give us a uh, thumbs up. And if you're watching by Facebook, give us a heart because hearts always show up more in the algorithm. So we appreciate everybody tonight. And we got a major, major guest tonight. Um, there are many great guests that don't take money. I know. And mm -hmm. I'm so thankful for them. Like, love you all just because they want to share their knowledge and their expertise and everything. We need that. We need it. So amazing, amazing guests that come on. So we have a guest tonight and I'm super excited about it because Oh, this movie, like I don't watch exorcist movies. Like I watched the exorcist back in the day when I was a kid. And like when she turned her head around and threw up, I was like, that's it. <laughs> I'm done. Like there's something about these movies that I just don't connect with or don't want to. And it's like, I have a fear behind it a little bit, but 10 years ago, do you watch these movies, Rick? So, 
I have, and they terrify me. And the reason okay. is because with the supernatural, you can't fight back. Like if it's if it's a monster, or if it's it's you know Jason or Freddy, it's like yeah, I'm probably gonna lose. But I feel like well, maybe not Freddy, but I feel like I could fight back. You know, like I can grab a weapon or something. A ghost, there's nothing nothing I can do. Like you got to go. You know, you need an expert to come in. So no, the movies absolutely terrify me. And from an early age, like I wasn't a big supernatural scary movie guy i went my friends were like emily got to do this 10 years ago this came out the conjuring 10 years ago everybody's like uh hey john good to see you um you have to go see this emily you have to go see it. it's not like how, what you think and i was like okay so i go with my group of friends go i'm the only one in that place i'm bawling my eyes out crying crying because the end in and then I take my mom, hopefully she'll pop in here in a little bit and make some comments or something. And both of us cry in this movie. It is not like the exorcist you think from the movies back in the seventies, but it was investigated in the seventies. And one of the very first investigators was Carl Johnson, which is mm -hmm. our guest tonight. But before I bring him on, I'm going to play the trailer. Everybody needs to take a refresher moment in, in the conjuring. And so here we go. Right, it's 918. We're headed down into the cellar where the door's just opened on its own. You give us a sign that you want to communicate with us. Nothing. <laughs> what are you guys? Well, we've been called ghost hunters, paranormal researchers. But we prefer to be known simply as Ed and Lorraine Warren. There's someone here that would like to talk to you. There's something horrible happening in my house. It's November 1st, 1971. I'm sitting here with Carolyn Perrin, who, with her family, has been experiencing supernatural occurrences. You picking up anything in here, hon? Something awful happened here, Ed. What is it? Whatever Lorraine sees, feels, touches, it takes a toll on her. A little piece each time. You have a lot of spirits in here, but there's one that I'm most worried about because it is so hateful. That's not gonna help. This thing has latched itself to your family. Father, we've never seen nothing like this. I'm coming with you. No way. I can't lose you. There's a lady in a dirty nightgown that I see in my dreams. She's standing in front of my mom's bed. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope. But we have Mr. Carl L. Johnson with us tonight. 
Thank you, Carl, so much for coming. Well, my pleasure. Carl. It's so nice to finally get to talk to you, Emily. This has been in the works for about a year or so. <laughs> it's been, been a while. It. And Rick, nice to meet you. That's a pleasure, um, sir. Thanks for coming on. Hopefully, this this will be more in the nature of a part one because we've I got think it's so be. much to talk about. That was quite the intro. Yes. Well, it, it is ten years, and that movie affected me. And 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 you know, I've not watched the other Conjurings after that. For some reason, I feel like Hollywood took over the franchise or something. I, which that's a big big to do in, in everything. I've seen a lot of supernatural movies, horror and horror, started at ages six with Evil Dead. You're related. This is not going the way I'm going to, but you're related to a horror movie maker, right, Carl? Uh, there's actually someone who inspired a, a lot of horror fiction. Okay. He, he's an icon. He inspired uh, Stephen King, and uh, Stephen King is happy to say that. Uh, yeah. His name is H.P. Lovecraft, or was H.P. Lovecraft. I've heard of that. And the more you research Lovecraft, you more the more you find out how influential it was on par with Edgar Allan Poe as far Ooh. as being an influence on horror fiction, modern horror fiction. So, um, real quick, I'll get into this with some basic questions in the first, but I got a lot of other questions, and Rick has has oh, some just things keep asking. To... I'll try not to take too long to answer my. No, answers. don't take your time. It's Ten okay. minutes, but you know. So really quickly for the viewers that may not be, may not know or our new listeners here for Weather Freak Live, what made you, there, there's a significant difference between a paranormal investigator and a demonologist. So what yes. made you switch? Because I know that you've been a paranormal investigator or you dabbled in some of that stuff as a teenager, like we all, all do. But yep. what made that switch from paranormal investigating to demonology? Well, to clarify, I am a paranormal investigator who specializes as a demonologist, and that means I address some of the darker situations, more malevolent teaming that are brought to my attention. Uh, my definition of demonology is the uh, systematized study of the lore and cultural traditions of wicked spirits. Now, someone can be an academic demonologist, just studies you know, about... Uh, demon lore and what were you know how these spirits became relegated to being demons and there are there's also applied demonology and that's when somebody is consulted or might even go out and address cases uh investigates as a demonologist now, i try to incorporate both academic demonology and uh, applied demonology so that's my definition i'm not uh, if there is such a thing as standard demonology that's not really me I'm surprised I haven't had my demonologist badge revoked at some point because I just have differing opinions on what causes these things. But it is a real and viable force that sometimes has to be addressed. And where are people going to turn if there is a demonologist who is effective, experienced, then they can consult that person. And that's the role I fill. Okay. Uh, some people have different methodologies. <clears throat> We were talking about the Warrens. They differed from me somewhat in how they would approach demonic cases. But that was their specialty, handling demonic situations. So I, I think to, for start, for all of our listeners, right, I think we probably have a lot of, uh, a lot of them listening live uh, in New Orleans. I hope so. So my like question is, you have a community, right? Very, very rich, obviously, with, with supernatural um, and so I'm sure that they, but for anyone listening, like what what is a demon? What is what is 
actually like the scientific definition, if there is one, of what a demon is compared to all the other hauntings or that we're familiar with? Uh, so many definitions. I can give you my most accurate, but I have to elaborate after that. My most current uh, and my uh, personalized definition of a demon is, I don't know. <laughs> you know, if you're a paranormal investigator, especially a researcher, let's say, one has to be ready to say, don't know, really intrinsically do not know what these things are. We have theories, we have suppositions, we have hypotheses. Uh, I think a more standardized, in Western culture, standardized Occidental definition of what is a demon would be an angel that was cast out of the oh. heavenly realms, the great rebellion. And uh, some of the angels, when Satan rebelled against God, uh, Satan was cast down into the nether regions, and even before it was called hell. And one third of the heavenly host, which we take to be angels, went with him of their volition. They sided with Satan. He was their leader. And they are the demons now. They are fallen angels, also sometimes referred to as Nephilim, which is plural for Nephil, the yes. fallen one. Uh, or some people, too, wants to call them reptilians a little bit. Oh, yeah. Oh, there are reptilian demons. I've had mm -hmm. people describe them to me. Um, another definition of a demon is uh, one I come up with. is a, a poltergeist with a really bad attitude. That's one thing. And sounds uh, like it sounds like one of my relatives. <laughs> you're <laughs> a away, like you know? really, really bad attitude. Yeah, that's what you are. Yeah, you're <laughs> a foreign one. <laughs> um, so they they're real in the sense that we make them real. Once the demon is believed in as a viable personified force, then that's its power. Because dread of the demon it was is what gives it its power. I, uh, I don't think they were celestial. I don't think they're infernal. Uh, I believe that they are created within the human psyche. And I'm not saying they are imaginal totally. They are, But they are created in the human mind. They are projected. They blend with other influences that are already out there. And uh, they become what we expect them to be, malevolent. Now, it so depends on interpretation. Some people might experience activity that is the criteria for a demonic haunt. And they might not say it's demonic, you know. They, mm, you've got strange odors in this house, and furniture's moving around, and you know, I just don't feel well in this house. It might be radon, or you know, we, we're going through a transitional time with this move. Uh, I have never run into a demonic case or situation where there wasn't trauma involved. Something in the person's subject's past, something like went wrong, divided the course of their lives at, at some point. That's been endemic to every demonic case I've investigated. That's an extremely interesting take to where That's we project our, you know, our inner influences, our life, our turmoil as we struggle yeah. with humans, we project that. And, and I might interpret something happening to just be, oh, no big deal. You know, I'm, I'm focused on other right. things or some people may obsess over it and hear a noise and this, oh man, that's my, you know, that's this demon. And then our energy, our, you know, our constant dwelling on it actually manifests itself. Right. Into it magnifies that. That, that experience. Is. And once the, once the demon is accepted as real, once somebody embraces a belief in that demon, they're going to be plagued by it. It's real. Everything that goes wrong, they back into a fire hydrant. Uh, a book flies off the, the bookshelf. Um, 
they just don't feel comfortable in their home. Things start going wrong. The water main breaks. It's all related to the demon. Well, also, too, I think words play a huge role. I think we can oh, speak yeah. a lot of things onto ourselves. And, and I, I've had one really, truly poltergeist, demonic, home. I call it the Poltergeist of Paintsville in Kentucky. It was going to be on a TV mm. show and they backed out at the very last minute because they thought it was going to be crazy um, or everybody's going to think he was crazy. But I truly had some magnificent things happen there. But I honestly think that a lot of it came from the mom, the homeowner there. Like she became obsessed with anything and it just manifested, manifested, manifested and became something larger than that. Then we needed help to come in and cleanse that place or, or, you know, set it free. But, you know, she spoke a lot of that, even when I was get, guiding her and giving her scriptures, take scriptures up in her home, giving right. her worship. That's take, a good approach. Yes. You know, and I, I would tell her, cause I believe in words so much that when she'd walk through a door frame and there's a scripture there that she'd have to read that scripture, even if she doesn't believe in it yet, yet she, they knew I was Christian based that she'd have to speak that out so her own hear, ears could hear and just keep saying it and then have praise and worship music. But, you know, it, that would help for a period of time. But then all, mm -hmm. her mind and then her work, like anything little would happen, back to that, back to that, back to that. So does someone truly get free from their haunted oppression or possessed home if they continue to do that? Is Are we wasting time? We no, some people, well, we could call it chronics, people who really, uh, it seems impossible to free them from the clutches of this, this influence, this presence. Um, I think the best remedy, of course, there is, you know, prayer, if someone has a faith. Um, people tend to forget that uh, if we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is stronger than the demonic, mm -hmm. but the demonic seems to be more persistent, more nagging. Um, but I think the best remedy is distraction. Somebody takes a positive mindset is embraced by their friends, you know, seeks out their friends company, uh, positive, uh, helpful activities. I wouldn't say that's an all out cure. It doesn't always alleviate the situation, but it, it makes it better. Uh, people need to take their minds off it when they're sitting at their homes and dreading the next thing that's going to happen. And every thought that pops into their head, that's negative. They attribute to the demon. Yes. And of course, it's it's a lethal force. And it's very hard to convince somebody that it's not a demon. And we're dealing basically with what's largely unknown. In my opinion, borne out by my experience, I think it issues from someone's psyche. But remember, psyche can create a poltergeist. Battle psyche can do things around it. Psyche can, I mean, if you can think of invisible hands, like pummeling somebody's insides, it can do that. Uh, paranormal force isn't going to outright kill somebody, but it's, it can create misery and anxiety and tension. And the person associates all of that with the spooky thing, with, with the demonic entity. And they might even see that entity. After a while, other people start seeing the entity. Psychic people first, the, the people who have a proclivity for seeing otherworldly things, manifestations. And then just... People in the household will start seeing this, for example, a shadowy form moving about. And sometimes it appears even, like you mentioned, Emily, reptilian. That's mm -hmm. a scary apparition. These things, it's impossible, but it's real. It's an untrue truth. 
So the, the mind creates it, but that makes it nonetheless real. I don't think the demonic race predates the human race. I don't think there were demons just lying in wait for God's greatest creation to come along, and then they have purpose. Now, here we have a photograph, if our audience can see that. That, this, to the best the, I pulled knowledge. this off something else. It's super blurry, but... Oh, well, the quality is kind of blurry anyway. That's the way yeah. the photograph is. Okay. It, it's a little sharper in the original, but I'll explain it briefly. To the best of my knowledge, that is a photograph of a demon. Uh, it is very rare to acquire a photograph of a ghost that you, is really validated. You know, you can say that's that's pretty genuine under, you know, controlled circumstances or we know where and how, what environment in which the picture was taken. That's probably really a ghost. It's much more rare to and much less common to get a picture of a demon. It almost doesn't happen. This is the picture of a demon. It's upsetting to a lot of people. Usually if I'm lecturing and display this picture, I will caution people. This is going to be kind of disturbing for you. I, I'm sorry. I'm yeah, sorry, like, Carl. <laughs> no. Well, no, let's look at it clinically. A lot of nightmares tonight, guys. It's a picture of something we don't understand. It is loaded with personality. It's oh. malevolent looking. Uh, it, has, it has like snake eyes, like, vi look, it, like it, reptilian it eyes, reptilian, a distended yeah. jaw, a distended jaw like a like a boa constrictor unhinging its jaw to swallow a pig or, you know, like that. A lolling tongue. You see it has dentition. You can see teeth. Yeah. Flared nostrils. The mouth is horribly drawn back over the teeth. Um, that was taken by the subject as he was being driven out from his their home. He and his family had so much going on. They had to get out. His name is Tony. He called me at 2.30 in the morning. He said, listen, man, it's happening now. You've got to get over here. You've got to get over here. It's throwing things at us. And I said, look, I, I'm, it'll take me 20 minutes to get over there at least. Uh, he said, no, we got to get out now. So they went over to his wife's sister's house with the children. And I think they brought five children with them. It was that bad. And they couldn't leave anybody behind. And Tony remembered that his camera was on a table at the bottom of the stairwell. Okay. Getting up the bedrooms. Uh, he wanted that camera because he had his paranormal evidence on it. Tony went back into the house, grabbed that camera, and as he did, he looked at the top of the stairs, and there was a malevolent figure, a figure of something like a man looking down at him. Grabbed his camera, had the presence of mind to snap a picture, and then fled. I don't know if he locked the door behind him. He just got out. This is the picture he got. He didn't know if anything would come out in the camera. Digital yeah. picture, and, and look what he got. Yeah, something like that. It, yeah figure didn't see the face so if oh, look, he, he's i'm sorry i took that down while you're in it. amazing i was looking at, at the dark figure didn't see the face <laughs> yeah oh but yeah yeah oh, still got it on yeah you can you can see it's got character to it bad character emily's just leaving that up there i mean it's i'm, just I'm sorry it's, it's here. It, this is super blurry everybody i was listening to one of the shows that you were on and i was listening to it i wasn't watching or anything and you were talking about this picture and everybody was like gasping on i was like i gotta see what this is so uh, i screen, yep. screenshot it and this is the best i can get but it's way better <laughs> it is yeah. yes yeah. well the quality, the original is kind of blurred anyway, perhaps a little sharper focus than what you're seeing. But you notice it's translucent. You can see the door at yeah. the top of the stairwell behind the face. And it even looks like it's got like a black collar or some garment that might be wearing. 
I can't you know, see it. it it's with my human, life, but, but yeah, like not totally. You know, that's but see, what the, the experience is, uh, Carl. Mm -hmm. I haven't told you about this. I have a bachelor's and a master's in Christian education and modern theology, and I worked mm -hmm. in ministry. Um, and I've dealt with demonic entities and stuff. The demonic entities that I've dealt with has always yeah. been part human and part animal. Like it's Isn't been that, that's interesting. Interesting, like monkeys, also. Yeah. frogs, um, uh -huh. snakes. Uh, I've seen a woman crawl over a pew like a snake that had no spine. Like it, like wow. I've seen a lot of stuff and I've helped out, helped out with some things. And, and you know, honestly think I've seen a reptilian, but I called it, uh, oh my gosh, a horny toad. <laughs> That's what I called it back the in the day. Toad there, I was yeah. 19. But it seems like these, these demons that manifest themselves, just like this, this picture, if you had the good picture, you could see it had like the reptilian eyes. Yes. It's like part human. It looks human in a lot of ways, but in a lot of ways it looks animalistic. Now there are a couple of theories about that. Uh, why can't this entity look like a person, like a ghost? If it wants to deceive us, if it has that kind of volition, if it's trying to, you know, why doesn't it appear like a, maybe an angel of light? Uh, one line of thought is that the demon cannot perfectly replicate the human form. It's forbidden to, or it's incapable of doing so. Mm. Can't look exactly like a person. Something is distorted. It, it gets messed up in the translation, trying to look like a human and it's nature comes out and becomes apparent. Um, that could be interesting that, uh, medieval representations of demons show them as part animal and part human. They usually have something of a lion face. Yeah. Um, I think our subconscious has something to do with that, the inner psyche, projecting it like that. But, yeah, it certainly reveals it as something, of a, something demonic. It can't hide that. When uh, we think about uh, demons and we think yes, about kind of... Which what, I do a lot we, of. What we know about it, right? We're always battling them with, with um, you know, Christianity, symbolism, crosses, Bibles, the power of Christ compels you. And if we're manifesting these demons, right? These entities, creatures, supernatural, you know, however, is it fair to say that the response and is it your tactic um, to respond to these demon entities based on what the person believes in. Like if you had somebody of another religion, would you use that um, to interact with them and, and kind of speak? I don't know what exactly you do, but I'd love to know in terms of how you're interacting. But is that a trick of the trade, I guess, to take what the person believes in and possibly how they manifested and what their beliefs are and maybe even what makes you know them calm and what they take comfort in as a way to battle that manifestation? Well, it, uh, it has to be on an individual basis. Uh, it's not like one can go in and perform a Christian blessing and expect if the person is not, uh, say they are of a different persuasion, say they're Buddhist or Muslim, mm. you know, which one makes you wonder why they would call on a demonologist, but they may have nowhere else to turn. Um, I would talk with the client first. Let's call them a client or the person seeking help. Uh, I would speak with them. I said, what do you really want from this? I know you want it to be gone, but do you want more of a, a Muslim blessing? Do you want to, what is, what do you feel you're going to respond to? And as Emily mentioned, 
there is power in names. Names have resonance. They strike a responsive chord. If a name has been associated with the demonic realm for a long time, it's it's going to have some power, especially in the subconscious if the person is aware of that name. And there are Shiva. some. Yeah, I yeah. The Sheba. She was in the Bible too. So. Oh yeah, Bathsheba. Yes, Bathsheba <laughs> Thea Sherman, as she's represented in the movie The Conjuring, she really yeah. got a bum rap because my research partner of uh, Panorama Paranormal, uh, Elise Giamarco Carlson, she does uh, land research, title researches uh, professionally. She's been doing it for a number of years, and she really delved into the house uh, on in Harrisville that they now refer to as The Conjuring House. It's officially The Conjuring House. Look, the, the name is a movie title, and you can't get away from that now. Right. Um, she like does the, land the Amityville, the Amityville, which no, is the, like the Warrens. Doesn't have resonance. The, the Warrens, Amityville Horror, Amityville Horror, The Conjuring House. You know, Bathsheba Thea Sherman was a totally innocuous person. She was a neighbor. She may have been in the house. There's no proof of that. Uh, but there is a tome called the the Black Book of Boroughville, Harrisville, okay. where the house is situated. That's a village in the town of Boroughville. And many of these old towns have the, the black book, which is mean a book of records. And if anything really uh, uh, insidious had occurred in that town, say there was an outbreak of hoof and mouth disease, say some, some horses were stolen, say someone hanged themselves, the murders were committed, those significant events would be recorded in the black book, the town's black book. There is nothing about Bathsheba Thea Sherman now, if she was even accused. They just played off that because they oh, know yeah, that well, was in the Bible. It, it, yeah, well, it's a cool, it's a cool sounding name, Bathsheba. And yeah. uh yeah. It's like Jezebel. Yeah, Jezebel and all that King Saul. Yeah. <laughs> David's uh, yeah, yeah. And uh it's it's a cool sounding name. Also, the Perrin family who lived in that house uh for 10 years, the house in Harrisville. The, it's the actually Brown Top farmhouse. Um or Richardson House from the original owners. Uh, <clears throat> they had a dog before they moved to Harrisville. When they were in Cumberland, Rhode Island, they had a dog named Bathsheba. Uh -uh. The Warrens come to that house. Lorraine no Warren way. Had, they really had a dog named Bathsheba. Oh, yeah. The Bathsheba, way before this haunting was going on. Now, the parents were not well-liked in the from all accounts in the town of Cumberland where they were. You know, they were the, the outcast, the odd people. There are reasons for that, but it was not supernatural. And uh, it's not like they were innocent people who moved into a haunted house. Uh, what's happening to us? Our, we've sunk all our savings into this home. We can't leave. It wasn't that simple at all. And Bathsheba, well, Lorraine Warren comes to that house in 1973. She had, I was there for it when she had her vision. And her vision is that the demon witch Bathsheba is what is tormenting them. Carolyn Perrin had mentioned that she did research on the house's past. She had written down Bathsheba and she gave her notes to Mrs. Warren. Uh, our case manager, Donna, Donna Eisenstadt at the time in 1973, because we were the first investigating team there out of Rhode Island College, uh, she had mentioned Bathsheba. So that had already been planted. The name Bathsheba, Bathsheba Thea Sherman was her full name. Uh, that seed had already been planted. Then, then Lorraine has the vision. It didn't just come to her like with no uh, no precedent. You know, she had the vision of Bathsheba. 
it and nowadays it's a, kind of a spooky old-fashioned name uh and she was supposedly because mrs perrin had a vision and then that's augmented by mrs warren's vision and so this whole thing was just created we talk about creating demons that was create like a literary creation and then it became real because it was believed in mrs warren believed it carol and Perrin believed it and unfortunately it made its way to the movie I have a quick question to you, and I have one question to one of my friends, John, but we'll get back sure. to that. Hopefully that'll blend in Whatever at the end. Like but Doug, Doug says, do demons choose to show us human, not perfectly, um, Never mind, y'all answering this. <laughs> I want to hear it. Y'all yeah, answering that right going now. On never show, mind. He said never mind. Never mind. Right y'all answering that right now. Okay, well, yeah. let me go up, go up to John's question real quick because uh, John John asks, I, I would like to ask if you see the demonic in people and society, especially within governments. Uh, mm. It gets complicated, that answer. I think there is enough confusion and evil in human beings that you don't have to attribute it to a supernatural force. Um, Ooh, it makes you wonder when you look at the, you know, because now there are seven plus billion people on the planet. And uh, so the, the theater is expanded and uh, it can look like something's pulling the strings. I think it's just groping. Human society is groping for dominance, for sustainability. Uh, but on a smaller scale, yes, I do see demons in people sometimes you can sense it almost smell it when they are oppressed by a demon and whatever my theories about their origins you can sometimes see that in people uh the co-author of my book shadow realms demonology handbook yes can tell you how to that's on amazon that. everybody mm -hmm. yeah my co-author is lana jan brock and she's also a uh, an accredited theologian and she has that degree and she's my co-author of Shadow Realms Demonology Handbook. So uh, she was in, she now works in a CVS. Yeah. She has for the last uh, just about five years as a uh, pharmacy technician and she vaccinates people and keeps very busy with that. Well, she was in line at a CVS just before she started working there. And she saw, uh, you know, for the CVS uh, stores, uh, she saw somebody that she knew had a demon in them. She just knew that she sensed it. Mm. She couldn't give a logical explanation for that, but she knew it. I, it wasn't my experience. Oh, thank you very much. Yes. Shadow Realms Demonology Handbook, which is just as it seems. It, I think it's something to bring on an investigation in case somebody's in a tricky situation. They might look through the books and, hmm, let's see if this guy Carl ever had to deal with that. Let's see what's up. You know, well, how did he handle it? There are some things I might have done differently, and I chronologue, you know, uh, that in the book give case histories i think it's an easy read it's precisely 300 pages and you can just read a chapter a night if you want to go all through it or just uh, use it as a reference because i have the chapters and i have an index so you might find something valuable if somebody's on a case and not necessarily demonic but it might have those leanings you know how did this guy carl what did he come up with as a solution or how did he deal with it and i have a story about a demon Ooh. at the mall but maybe we'll end out on that so well, i hope you get to at it the I'll end, i'm going to tell you all about a demon at the mall okay. carl, that, carl. girl after my own heart <laughs> how does one get into this field is it a calling is it what draws you to this life 
Yes, it is a calling. Uh, it, it called me. It found me. Um, my first residential case, which I found out about when I was 17 years of age, was investigating there when I was 18 years old. Uh, my first residential case was what is now called the Conjuring House, Brown Top Farmhouse. That was what I started with. Because we didn't know that precisely 40 years later it would be turned into a motion picture. I certainly would have taken more pictures <laughs> thought that, you know. And it was actually our team that brought in Ed and Lorraine Warren to that house. That's how they became involved in the house in, in Harrisville. It wasn't like we were in over our heads. We were conducting to the best of our means a scientifically based investigation. Once the Warrens came in, it ceased being an investigation and turned into an intercession. You know, the, uh, the intellectualizing ceased and they were just trying to rid the demon as they interpreted it out of the house. So that was my first case in uh, August and September, 1973. I was but a baby. Uh, my next case turned out to be full-blown demonic possession. The subject was a 14-year-old boy in the West End of Providence in the Armory District. And that was harrowing. That's where you, I cut my teeth, you might say, in demonology. And then I started to get calls when some, somebody would call me, Carl, we, we know you do this and we don't know if we can handle this. This is beyond us. Can you come in and just be a consultant? Can you help us out with this? I said, oh, I'm glad they have so much confidence in me. But yeah, I will come and address this. Well, even then, in the early days, I had a reputation as an investigator who would stand his ground. I wouldn't be chased out. And that I found out in that demonic possession case in the West End of Providence. Um, I so wanted to get out of there when this activity was happening. I, I knew back at my parents' house where I was living, there was, uh, there was food in the refrigerator. I could go to bed. I didn't want to deal with that. But I also knew that if I left that house when they needed my help or seemed to rely on me, when the family was relying on me, I might not ever be able to return to such a situation. So, well, if I ran out before, I'm going to run out again. Mm -hmm. I knew I had to stay and see it through and at least instill confidence in me the for the people I was trying to help. So that was my second one. Then somebody brought a magazine article to my attention, and it was uh, basically about Ed Lorraine Warren from Monroe, Connecticut. And because I was then associated with the Warrens, uh, they had a blurb about me, and it said, uh, I'll quote, Carl Johnson, the demonologist from Rhode Island. And somebody said, they say, look, Carl, a demonologist from Rhode Island. And I said, well, you know, that has a ring to it. Okay, <laughs> I'm a demonologist. And I'll be until somebody explains that I'm not. But that's how I first became involved in demonology. It seemed to find me, once I had the reputation, of course, I can understand it. But I just, for some reason, people were bringing the dark cases to me. Now, my brother, Keith, is also a demonologist. We are very much alike in our approaches, but not in our theorems. Uh, he's the good twin. I'm the evil twin. I don't believe that, but well, I, 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 I would like to have. I, I have never seen an interview with you both on. I'd like to have you both on. Actually, Ooh, that would be pretty cool. Part well, you see, I've always questioned, and I've always come up with theories and propensities of the human psyche. You know, what does can the mind do? Whereas my brother takes a much more fundamental view. So he's kind of like the uh, the angelic twin. He's. And if you're a demonologist, I think you have to be a skilled angelologist as well, just to get a comprehensive 
overview. The nine choirs of angels. Yeah. Honestly, the description of angels is kind of just as scary as what you might perceive. They're formidable when you talk about the biblical, the Old Testament, even the New Testament uh, mm -hmm. definition and delineation of angels. They're scary mothers. They're they're formidable. They're nine feet tall. Or they're um, they they execute God's judgment. The angel of death in Exodus. You know, um, they're nasty people. All one angel nasty, has one angel has all kinds of eyes and wings yes. and all that. There's nine choirs of these angels. Mm -hmm. that they, it, but they can. But here's the difference: they can manifest as humans. But demons can't do that. It seems like demons cannot do human, full mm -hmm. humanistic people. Like angels has that ability. Demons seem like they're part human, part animal. Yes. For, I always treat guests respectfully because in, when entertaining guests, some people have unknowingly entertained angels. Right. The words of St. Paul. Uh, that's, that's a good point that angels don't, they can appear as a human. Demons really can't do that. There's always something wrong, something missing, or something uh, ominous. So yeah, angels, but they're they're not always the sweet help givers. They execute judgment. They're well, they're they scary wrestle. To behold. Was it they, in the wrestle with the angel on that? Like yeah. broke his broke Jacob. His yeah, tried Jacob. to wrestle with the angel, and of course, the angel wrestle had the advantage them. from the start because the angel just touched him on the head, and he fell down mm -hmm. in pain. Um, angels are no more human than are demons. They are celestial, not infernal. But then, you know, and of course, there are the uh, the prone, the thrones, the principalities, uh, cherubim, seraphim, which are all no, plural. There's a hierarchy. Yeah. Just demons not, are hierarchy too. There, there's a lot yeah. of regional demons, land mm -hmm. demons, things like that. But Rick has a question. I know because he, he keeps. Oh out. yeah. No, I'm just. <laughs> you, yeah, no, you guys went. Deep Isn't it amazing? Whoa, I got yeah. I'm, I'm checking out of this one. Um, so I, when it comes to demons, right? Um, if you had to choose one fictional fictional representation of what a demon is from movies, books, whatever that you think may come closest to reality, which would it be? Like why? Um, who's gotten it the most right? I would say the movie The Right, which was uh, predicated oh, on a real case. Uh, going back a little further. Uh, well, now with the advent of The Exorcist uh, in 19, early 1974, it was released to general theaters, and the book came out two years before. Uh, that gives us our Western interpretation of what a, a demon is, very similar to the medieval idea of what a demon is. Um, but I can also cite uh, Faustus, the tragic history of Dr. Faustus. There was a movie made by the, about the uh, Christopher Marlowe play, which I like. It was done with minimalist sets, starred Richard Burton, who as great an actor as he was, yeah, can be laughable in some roles. But I think the representation of Mephistopheles, the demon he summons, uh -huh. I think that pretty much encapsulates what, uh, how a demon is. A deceiver, uh, but uh, subjugated to the will of Satan. And again, I'm talking in those more overt terms, you know. So um, speak, 
speaking of these demonic entities in the movies and, and the things and yeah. the conjuring and all this stuff, when we sit and watch, there's been a couple times, like um, even a series on Netflix here just recently uh, about um, Ohio. Um, I can't even remember the devil in Ohio or something what it was. I got to episode yeah. two and in my spirit says, turn it off. Like yeah. I, I did that with uh, drag me to hell was another movie that, that I started watching here at home turn it off insidious which did the conjuring the first one turn it off can these entities that are portrayed because we have a lot gosh this is a long question um the exorcist and the poltergeist and all this stuff we have a lot of tragic incidents that happen on these sets yes the people the, can that entity or whatever hovering over these films and over these movies can that come out of the tv possibly and connect to us because i like i seriously like drag me to hell like even the commercials for that that was probably the worst one the 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 trailers i would see on tv and so drag me to hell was the one that like alarmed me so bad and and i watched the first three or four minutes of it i'm like absolutely not turn it off i think there's some meaning behind this because i feel that way but can it can it actually manifest can it can it transfer through tv two criteria are necessary the person has to believe in the power of the demon and they have to be afraid of it mm -hmm. if they dread it yeah it can but it's not really going to come out of the set and uh Horror films aren't doomed to activity, paranormal activity occurring in the set and the making of them. Otherwise, they wouldn't be making them. And we keep in mind that what makes these movies and television shows successful is the element of fear, the right. surprise, the unexpected. One thing I've always found in, uh, scary in movies is when the person's in the bathroom, you know, and they, you know, they hear rattling around, they hear noises in the hall. And and they always have the thing where they they're looking at stairs or they're going around with a flashlight and all you know, <gasps> and it's the cat. Oh, oh, don't do that, jeepers! Don't do that. The and then they turn around. Or when they close the bathroom the mirror, there's a reflection in back of them, especially if it's done subtly, <clears throat> it's like you know, kind of forming. Or you see the shower curtain part behind them. That spooks me. Yeah. It's not real to me, but you wonder if things like that are happening. Yeah. Um, and it's good for business. It promotes the movie if they say all these terrible things happen on the making of the set. But The Exorcist, Jack McGowan, who plays Burke Dennings, the director, and uh, he dies in that movie. He was a distinguished comedic, mostly comedic actor, British actor. Uh, he dies falling down steps where he's thrown out. Oh, hold on. I know yeah. those steps are in Columbus, Ohio, and I've laid on them. <laughs> yeah. Taken. So I've laid on those oh, steps. Well, yeah. But the actor, Jack McGowan, did die that way. He fell down. He died? Really he died? Really He died before the film was released to theaters. He died in late 19, I think it was late 1973. Falling down, down stairs. stairs. Now that was, yeah, that was promoted also by the movie, but it was true. But oh, it wasn't the demon that, that threw him out the window. That was true. Yeah. Um, but that happened. There were strange things that came out in the film. You see little blurbs and, and strange uh, discrepancies, anomalies in the film that were left in.
that occurred during the making. Because that created that was a conjuration. That became so real. It was such a scary film. And based on another real case, that things started to happen. But when you come down to the bottom line, it was a movie. It was successful. It was promoted as being terribly scary. And it was. It was effective. It was. But they use that formula of like you turn around and there it is. And you know, that it's not going to be scary otherwise. Those films can't be successful if they're not scary. I think it was really overdone in The Conjuring. Uh, you might think I wouldn't like that movie, The Conjuring, because what happened was the Warrens actually usurped our case and ran with it. Um, we were out of it once they came in because they declared it a demonic haunt. They were the experts. They had to take over. They could, do, In fact, Ed Warren told Mrs. Perrin, and this came out weeks later, that they could be of no help unless they were the sole paranormal people. Uh, we were just a bunch of college kids we could only get in the way. I actually think we could have done more good for the parents, but we wouldn't have made them famous. So and, if, you're, uh, if you're investigating paranormal activity or you're a demonologist, right? Yes. Finding a demon is clearly good for business. Oh, yeah. I mean... So my question is really, like, in, in researching this and trying to prepare, you know, I, I watched a lot of... Um, YouTube and, and TikTok videos of people experiencing demons and paranormal activity. And every time they go out looking for it, they find it. So are there really this many, many hauntings that we see out there or have hauntings increased significantly based on the ability to monetize the videos as of late? Well, the Warrens, for instance, had a fantastic success rate because virtually every case they went to was declared demonic. So they always found their demon. Yeah. And it, it really does and they're become that way. I mean, if you're looking for uh, signs of the demonic haunt, like it suddenly became cold in the room. There were wraps on the wall. Uh, shadow figures, they see it out of the corner of their eye. Yeah, those things are going to happen. Mm -hmm. And they're interpreted as demonic. Somebody else might not think they're demonic. But once that lodestone is introduced and they believe it's demonic, it's, it's hard to convince anybody they're not. I would rather not find the demon and say it's like, a human generated haunt, which I think it all comes down to that anyway. But sometimes you just got an inhuman menace there. Uh, and it's hard to interpret it as anything else. You can't tell somebody it's not. I would rather go in and perform something of a blessing and with all sincerity, but the person needs to be convinced that they're being helped. And sometimes they can't be because it always comes back. Nah, it's coming back. It's still bothering me. I, I, I don't do, I don't, I hate to say this, Carl, because I've worked on several cases. I do not do it until they're absolutely ready. Uh, and, and I have a game plan. I give them a thing. I said, you have to do this. You have to do this. You have to do this. You have to be ready. And that's what I'm going to say. It, I think it starts out as an impression and then it becomes a possession because they keep yes. speaking it on them. The, these homeowners in these homes and, and stuff, for some reason, they cannot let it go. And there's a lot of times I'm like, you I don't think they want to let it go because it, it's a comfort zone to them in many ways. They, they, they want help, but they, when we give help, they don't want to let it go. They keep bringing Boy, it back. Are you hitting the nail on the head? Yes. Sometimes they, they have relied yep. on that. It's not our problem. It's not us. We were a totally, totally normal household. And then this thing started. And during the interview process, researching the property and their his, the personal history, you find out it wasn't really, they didn't have that kind of equilibrium. They didn't just move into us. That really doesn't happen in, in the real world. 
where persons move into the, oh yeah, they might find a haunted house, but it's not going to be demonic. There's something that preceded that, some tragedy, some division in the it's, family. And often you find a Ouija board in a closet. Oh, and, you know, yeah. Oh yeah, well, we wanted to find, and this is true, I'm quoting a number of times. Well, we wanted to get to the bottom of it, so we thought we'd ask for the Ouija. You know, we didn't know what else to do. Yeah, yeah. like a Ouija board's going to tell you the truth. Yeah, let's open up that portal of the hell. Um, I've been shopping for uh, another car, and I finally have one after mine was totaled. And uh, I don't intrinsically trust the car salesman. You know, uh, how are you going to trust something with a planchette that moves around a board, scrying? You know, and these people, well, we wanted answers. In fact, that happened at that house in Harrisville. Okay. The seance was staged. I could use that word. As, well, it was. Uh, I'm surprised the Warrens did seances. Well, they did. Now, Mrs. Warren, Lorraine Warren, many times I quoted her saying, you must never try to contact the dead. She was doing a seance every other weekend, you know, and, uh, and they advised that the parents have a seance in their haunted house, the parent family owning the house in Harrisville. Well, what better way to find out what kind of a demon or evil spirit is haunting their house than to ask another spirit. And it just, it <laughs> seemed primitive. There was nothing scientific about it. Uh, it was grasping at straws. Yeah, they got results all right, but not results they expected. Carolyn sure. Perrin, during that seance, she was taken over, started mumbling in a, an incoherent quasi language. And she was, thrown out of her chair, propelled out by what I believe is psychokinetic force. She was thrown about nine feet into the That's, next room. That happened. And that happened in the movie too, but listen, we got, we're, we're running out of time and we got, yeah, we got, we got about questions. Eight minutes. We got, yeah, I know. We're well, we got eight, we got, we do have eight minutes left. I'll, I'll make say use that. Of them. Um, but real quick, I just want to say, I believe that people that have these hauntings in their home, it's kind of like somebody that's addicted to some kind of drug or something. It answers it's questions. Addiction. Yeah, and unless they're willing to get rid of that addiction, then then no. Oh my god, my partner Elise and I have talked about that. It's it's. Uh, <laughs> I call I call it, uh, and and in the book Shadow Realms, and Lana mentions that I call it uh, parapsychological projection. Because excuse me, I get really oh that's loud. okay. Well, that. there, there's your the ringtone. Oh. Somebody's <laughs> trying to shut me off there. Yeah. Oh, I'll show you something quickly. Demon alert. Okay, hold on. This is a talk about my partner. This is Elise. Oh, Oops. that's not oh, going to help so us down. at all. There we go. Elise, she's the karate chopper. Yes, she is. Yeah. She's the, well, you know, we need to have her on the show, too. Well, she, we're the Avengers. She's Emma Peel, if you okay. remember that show. Oh, oh okay. yes, let's bring her on. Yeah. Yeah, we need to bring her on, too. Has, has anyone ever asked you to do a, a demon inspection, like as, as due diligence before buying a house? Is that, is that a thing? Not yet. I would like them to call me in to, as an assessor. You know, I'll give you my opinion, but, you know, it will be scientifically. It won't be just hunches. You know, it's what we can about. find, you know, and, you know, something of intuition, of course. You mentioned H.P. Lovecraft being my distant cousin. Actually, H.P. Lovecraft is my second cousin. Okay. That's all right. He never called me and he died uh -huh. in 1937. Look what somebody gave me, gifted me. Oh, no, we get. I have a lot of questions. That looks like Eminem. <laughs> Down at the bottom, yeah. Eminem that's, the rapper. That, yeah. yeah, that's the. Yeah, hey, 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 I've never heard him referred to as that. This is made out of actual coffin wood. 
Awesome. Somebody who specializes in such arcane gifts. Uh, uh, I have so many questions about Ouija board now. We're going to have to do this. We can't do it right now. Definitely you are opening up one rabbit trail after another. Yeah. Let's do this. Can we ask Jason's yes. questions? Yes. A really Here good we one. Go. Please do. Yeah. We'll do Carl, how do demons view each other? Are they territorial? Angels function under the will of God, and he's always viewed demons as being selfish. How do demons view each other, and are they it territorial? Is that, it's thought that demons work in league together. And there are stronger demons and lesser de minor demons um, that are called minions. Uh, oh, I really? Are they really truly called minions? Because that mo those movies would make sense right now. It's it's a human term. Yes, it's you know oh, people, wow. people call them that. Uh, it's you know that's an interesting premise about demons being territorial and in competition with each other. Uh, I've never really thought of that. It's kind of a cool concept. I think they have to, by their dark master, they are enforced to work together and cooperate. But maybe if they are real in that sense and they have personalities, maybe they have some human-like squabbling. Maybe they are territorial. Maybe they emulate Satan in that way and they are instilled with pride. I, that I think that's the shit of their boss to, to bicker too much. Yeah. And then we got Doug here. Is there a definite line that when crossed, one can be reasonably sure they are dealing with a demon there are some pretty angry energies that i've come across but never considered it demonic mm -hmm. it will always be vague and hard to define but and, and uh like getting back to the poltergeist phenomenon that can seem demonic because it's so forceful it's a whirlwind it can move furniture around it can rearrange draperies into human form they look like mannequins that's happened um it is thought that when you, and I always have like, a, it's a supposition, but it's thought that uh, when it's a demonic haunt, you feel it in your gut. It's, uh, you have really feel like there are hands on you, icy hands, and you're being watched all the time. That leads more to uh, the idea that it's a demonic haunt. I don't think one can be absolutely sure, but it depends on the person who's addressing it. It could depend on the demonologist. But sometimes if you walk into a house and there's stuff happening there, it's like, I don't know what else to think. This really does seem demonic. Well, but I, I always support that the mind is very much in play at that. Carl, tell yeah. us about Paracon coming up in May. Okay. Yes. Well, as I can see, that's May 13th and 14th. I'm going to be a headline speaker there. Not very the headliner, awesome. but I'm going to be you know, a keynote speaker at that. And that's uh, it gets bigger every year. This is going to be its third year. Uh, and it takes it's going to take place in Ansonia, Connecticut, the Ansonia Armory, to be a very good kind of Gothel-looking environment. Many of my colleagues will be there, but I'll be one of, the, one of the speakers there, and I'm going to be speaking with Elise. I've invited her to speak. I have some clout there. And it's going to be a hobnobber uh, sharing of ideas, um, techniques, and I think a Paracon can be a very beneficial thing. Where's the best place for people to connect with you, to reach out to you, Carl? I'll have your links all in the description and I've shared yeah, it during the show. Yeah, I to contact you about that. But uh, I'm accessible for the ubiquitous Facebook and Meta. You know, you can find me there. Um, we have a website for Panorama Paranormal. Okay. Basically contiguous uh, .com. And so look for Panorama Paranormal. Uh, you follow a link, you know, you'll find eventually a link to that. Uh, we have a Facebook page for Panorama Paranormal. Now, there might be a couple of other, you know, groups or uh, 
contingencies that have that panoramic paranormal, but you'll come to us first, I think. And that's uh, at least Giamarco Carlson and myself, Carl L. Johnson. I'm guessing I'm the only Carl L. Johnson in the state of Rhode Island who's known as a demonologist. So, you know, <laughs> by default, find me on Facebook, you know, but yeah. try, try looking around for panoramic. And I, I can direct you uh, to our website after that once you get a hold of me, you know, well, or I'll call... Call Emily Menhouse and your oh, yes. mom, your and, and Rick. I will send you. you. Well, I will you. send we'll you. Point them in the right direction. I'm not <laughs> well, going I, want, I want to say thank you, Carl, yes, so much. I'll be yes. in contact with you to come back on for part two. Maybe your brother can come on too. Oh yeah, for sure. So. And or Elise, you know. You yeah. Know, get the family well, we together. Could, we could do a part three. I, you know. Oh no, that would be so good. I really enjoy your show. It, it's gone by so quickly. You really need a two it hour. Does. I know, but it, it seems unfortunately like, you know, we can't do it right yet now. Yeah, and it's like I start off by saying, "Oh, Jesus, I hope I have enough material to talk about for an hour." And then oh, it's like you, you, we you got two it. are such a good team and so engaging, and you happen to ask all the right questions. Um, <laughs> and we got really great people that watch the show too. Like, oh, so. can we do fifteen more minutes? You know, wow. Uh, we got well, we got three more minutes, so we always let our our guests go, and then we close out the show and introduce okay. our show for next week. Yep. So we're gonna let you go, Carl. Carl thank you thank so you. much. Thank you so much. Man. Learned a lot okay, tonight. Just, yeah, thank you so much, we and I'll be back. You. Okay. Alrighty. Yes, you definitely will. We'll see you Can't next wait. time, Carl. Have a great weekend. You too. Bye bye. Right. Bye. Awesome. Carl Ooh. L. Johnson. Woo-woo. Yeah, that dude's awesome. Very cool. He's been hunting demons since the 70s. Like, that's just, like, what a career. Like, that's awesome. He's a and we didn't even, Dude, we didn't even get into, like, you know, he needs like. He a tattoo. He needs geez. a tattoo. Demon Slayer tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> Was Did you learn anything from that? Any, take any yeah, yeah, I have. I, I learned a, quite a bit of that, especially with me just even saying that angels are humans. And, and here's my dog coming in. Um, and demons are half human, half animals. Even I just came up with that on this whim, but you know, he, he never thought of that. Carl's amazing person. I, I love it. I've listened to a lot of his interviews, watched a lot of his, uh, stuff over the years and I need to get his book and maybe I should buy the book for a giveaway. Cause giveaways are going to be coming out soon here. on mm -hmm. what the free club. been working on that, but next week we got a minute left, Rick. So next week, one of my top 10 people I've ever wanted to interview in my whole entire life is coming on. L.A. Marzuli. We're going to be talking giants, Nephilim, all oh, that stuff. Great, he, great follow-up. He, he chases the Nephilim, and we're going to be talking about um, uh, Haditha Dam, and we're going to be talking about uh, um, Gilgamesh and Nimrod. It's going to be freaking phenomenal. I will be right. super nervous. Everybody tune in next week here on uh, What the Freak Live, 107.7 FM, yes. New Orleans. We love you all. Thank you so much. Um, we'll see you next week. Always Thank repeat myself. Thank, Thank you, everybody. Awesome.